0: So today we're going to talk about some difficult things. And as we talk about those difficult things, I want to say from the outset that it is not our responsibility to swing the hammer of the law, to bring down the swift hammer of justice onto those who are not living justly according to the word of God. And in fact, the one who had the right to swing the hammer of justice instead said, I've not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. We do well to remember that. And we do well to remember that all of us are wounded healers. All of us are fellow blind beggars helping others find where the food is. So let's pray together. Let's ask God to speak to us, to encourage us, to transform us into the image of Jesus. God, we love you. We're here not because we love you. We're here because you have loved us. That's how we know what love is. And I pray you'd speak through your word by the power of your spirit to the blood-bought, ransomed, and redeemed people that are yours. And I pray, God, that you'd call us to holiness and that you would help us win others to the gospel, to the abundant life that you purchased for us. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. So as a reminder, we're in First Thessalonians. Paul loved the Thessalonian church, and uh, over and over and over praises them. And even in this section where there's some instruction and you might say rebuke, it's really not that. It's really a call from excellence to even more excellence. So we're going to just begin with the position that the Thessalonians are in and say, I'm proud of you and the way that you're following Jesus. And this morning is not meant to be a condemnation laid upon you because there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this morning, no one is condemned. No one should walk out of this room this morning feeling like the worst person on earth because all of us have been set free from the power of sin by the blood of Jesus. So we begin from a place of saying there is no condemnation. There may be, though, we should say, there may be some conviction. Conviction is a gift. Condemnation is a curse. Condemnation says this. Here's what it says to me. You're a bad pastor, and your church would be better off with a different pastor. That's what condemnation sounds like. Or you're a bad father, or you're a bad husband, and they'd be better off with someone else. Conviction, though, is more like you really shouldn't yell at your kids in anger. Condemnation is general, and there's nothing you can do about it. Conviction is specific and actionable. One is a curse, one is a blessing. So, feel no condemnation today. No matter how far gone you are in sexual sin, feel no condemnation. No matter what sexual temptations you struggle with or deal with, feel no condemnation. But be prepared to receive conviction from the Holy Spirit because it quickens you And it gives you actionable steps that you can take to grow in holiness and to grow in obedience. And that's what Paul is calling the Thessalonians to. He says in verse 1, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. I like that. As you are doing, do it even more. You are growing in it. Keep growing in it. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are all, as am I, we are all in the process of becoming. We're becoming someone. My best friend's dad passed away this last weekend, last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, and I was down in Oklahoma for the funeral and I got, to, I got to read his obituary and share some stories that I had, uh, rem, you know, remembrances, memories that I had with him. And then I got to kind of call on people to stand up and share different things that they had remembered about him. And then um, his pastor and my pastor, who uh, loved him and was friends with him, had known him for a lifetime, got up and began recounting his life. And over the course of his life, had to share the honest truth about his life. That he had been following Jesus and then turned away from Jesus. He didn't detail it out, but he fell into sexual sin, sexual immorality, committed adultery, lost his ministry, lost his marriage, walked away from his faith for a long time. But then towards the end of his life, repented of his sin, returned to Jesus. He didn't return to ministry but he returned to Jesus. He returned to faith in Jesus. He returned to friendship and fellowship with his own family. It was a beautiful testimony about what God can do in a person's life. And it was a tragic story because he had so much that he forfeited. We're all in the process of becoming. Movement is mandatory, but the destination is still to be determined. For everyone, whether you're young or old, You are becoming someone. With every choice that you make, you are becoming someone. And Paul is calling the Thessalonians and calling you and calling me. And he's saying, just as you have begun, just as you are doing, continue growing, increasing in holiness, increasing in obedience. Those things should be on the rise in us We should be becoming more holy, becoming more obedient as we are becoming more in love with Jesus, experiencing more intimacy with Jesus, and being transformed by the power and the work of the Spirit inside of us. As you're doing, do it even more. And he says in verse 2 For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is important for us right here. This is really important. Jesus doesn't give suggestions to you. Jesus doesn't give you helpful life tips. Jesus is not interested in coming alongside and saying, have you ever considered maybe not looking at pornography? Just a thought. He says, you know what commands we gave you. We don't really like this. We we don't we don't like to be commanded to do things. We don't like to be told to do things. Even the rule followers sometimes in the room are like begrudgingly willing to follow the rules just because that's how God has wired you. But something inside of you as a rule follower says I should probably be the one making the rules. Those of us who are not rule followers just say no one should make rules and we should get to do whatever we want to do. You know, so that's kind of the two poles of the personality. Let's remember First John chapter 5. You can flip over just a little bit to the right if you want to. First John chapter 5. Here's what John said in verses 2 and 3. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is to keep his commands and his commands are not a burden his commands are not a burden the Lord Jesus does not give suggestions that's what the name Lord indicates you understand it's not the buddy Jesus Paul told the church in Philippi that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? That he's Lord. And the Lord gets to give commands. He gets to give commands. Verse 3 is the key verse in this whole passage. He says, for this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality. This is God's will. I cannot tell you over the course of being a youth pastor and pastor, the number of times that, and being a teenager, college student, and uh, adult, the number of times that I have either myself asked or had someone ask me, how can I know God's will for my life? This is such a big question. And honestly, if just if we're honest, oftentimes a completely immobilizing question. How am I supposed to know God's will for my life? How do I know what God wants from me? What if I mess up my life? What if I choose the wrong college? What if I choose the wrong career? What if I choose the wrong spouse? What if I choose the wrong vocation? What if I choose the wrong car? What if I buy the wrong? Like there are a million ways that I feel like I could mess up my plan for my life by taking my plan for my life instead of following God's plan for my life. How am I supposed to know God's will? And here's the truth that most preachers won't tell you. God's will doesn't usually show up in turn by turn navigation status. You can open the Bible all you want to. It is not going to tell you what college you're supposed to go to. You can open up the Bible all you want to. It's going to have some things to say about how you handle your money, but it's not going to tell you what house to buy. You can open up the Bible all you want to, and it's not going to tell you whether you should date Kelly or Samantha. It's just not going to tell you those kinds of things. We get really wrapped up. We get really wrapped up on the clarity of our calling but the Bible seems more wrapped up in the content of our character and that's how God's will is most often revealed in the Bible not turn right then left then right but be right on the inside we spend a lot of time a lot of energy and a lot of anxiety looking for divine direction But God's priority is to first form us, to form us. We're concerned about what we should do, but God is concerned with who we are. And if you will raise the sails of basic obedience in your life, you will discover that oftentimes the winds of direction will blow. I, I wear glasses now because my optometrist told me, you're old. It's literally what she said. She's like, yeah, you're old. So your eyes are wearing out. And I was like, well, that seems like a ripoff. Can I get a trade in or something? Is there something we can do about that? She's like, yeah, you can wear glasses. The interesting thing about glasses is that if you put mud all over the glasses, you really can't see anything at all. I mean, if I take them off, everybody is just a little bit fuzzier. But If I have them covered in mud, I cannot see anything. And you and I are often like glasses covered in mud. We're we're, we're covered in our own sin and we're asking God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Our character is a mess. We are not growing in holiness. We are not growing in obedience. But we're kind of shaking our fist and saying, God, why won't you speak to me? And why won't you talk to me? And why won't you tell me what to do? And God says, I want to first form you. I will form you and then I will inform you. And by the way, the Psalmist told us that when we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. My daughter's here today. She's beautiful and she's amazing. And if she were to come up to me later on this afternoon and say, dad, all I wanna do is make you happy. That's all I wanna do. Should I watch a show on Netflix Or should I talk to my friends on the phone? All I want to do is make you happy. Any father who loves his child is just going to say, I love that you want to make me happy. Do what you want to do. When your heart is formed saying, My desire is to submit to, to please, and to love my heavenly father, you are liberated and freed. You have to live basic. You just have to obey the basic commands of the Bible. God is interested first in forming you, in making you the person that he created you to be, preparing you for the good works that he prepared just for you. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are his workmanship. He's crafting us. He's making us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You know why I planted a church, why my family and I planted a church in 2015? Because we were not ready to plant a church in 2005. We were being formed for the work that God had for us. You're being formed. This is God's will. Well, what's God's will right now in this passage? What is God's will? The answer is your sanctification. Sanctification is a $10 word and I'm a two cent person. So I figure I'd give you the definition because maybe you're like me and you have like a vague idea of what sanctification is. And I just looked it up. Sanctification is the action or the process of being freed from sin, being purified or being made holy. That's what sanctification is. What is God's will for you? God's will for you is that you would be increasingly freed from sin that you would be increasingly pure, that you and I would be increasingly holy. We live in the already, not yet. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, right? Because I gave my life to Jesus. He transformed me. He gave me a new heart. He made me his son and I have been saved. And when God sees me, he sees me through the blood of Jesus. Positionally, I have been made holy. But experientially, I am in the not yet holy, if you know what I'm saying. If you were to follow me around and know my thoughts and hear my words and see my actions, you would say, that is not a holy person. That's the already not yet. We are becoming We are still becoming, we are being transformed, conformed into the image of Jesus. His plan for us is not to be removed from a world of temptation and not to be removed from a world of sin, but to learn how to live as an example in it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it tells us. You can flip back there if you want to. I'm going to be jumping around a lot today. So those of you who are Bible drill champions, this is your moment. You've been training for this. Those of you who don't know what Bible drill is, obviously did not grow up in an old school Southern Baptist church, which may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing, maybe a little bit of both. You know what I'm saying? But some of you are now probably like holding your Bibles like this, like one hand below, one hand above and ready to flip it open. Romans 12, one and two says, therefore brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You really wanna know what God's will for your life is? Then put your yes on the table. God, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll say anything you want me to say when you want me to do it, when you want me to say it. I'm ready to obey you no matter what. As you live as a living sacrifice, you learn how to discern the will of God. Not to be removed from it, but to live as an example in it. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. This is what God wants for you. Isn't that nice? What he wants for you is that you would be increasingly freed from sin, increasingly purified and increasingly made holy. That's his plan for you. That's his plan for you. So he says, this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. God's plan for us regarding sin and temptation, specifically sexual sin and sexual temptation, but really all of it, is this two-pronged strategy. you ready for it? This is important. You don't have to write it down. You should be able to remember it. Avoid and abstain. God is the original Nancy Reagan. Just say no. Run away. Get out from under it. Avoid it. Don't go near it at all costs. Stay as far away from it as you can. If there's a fork in the road, just turn all the way around. Don't even try to take the other fork. Whatever is tempting you, get away from it. I had a teenager once come to me and he said, I'm deeply struggling with pornography. I said, do you access it through your computer? And he said, yes. And I said, I have a simple solution. Either sell or destroy your computer. He said, I can't do that, I have to do my homework. I said, I have a computer and you can come to my house every day and do your homework on my computer. You can come to the church office and do your homework here. I'll make the computer available to you right here. You can use it as long as you need to use it. I'll stay with you all day. I'll stay with you all night so that you can do it. He said, I can't do that. And he got no victory over his sin. You know why? Because God's will for you is not that you would someday be strong enough to avoid your sin. Strong enough to stand near temptation and not fall into temptation. God's will for you is that you would flee it. Just run away. You don't need to demonstrate your willpower. You don't need to test your strength. Over and over and over and over, God says, stay away from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It's, uh, excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. If you're accessing it through your phone, get a dummy phone. If you're accessing it through your computer, get rid of your computer. Well, You you can't live without a computer. You know who David Eckstein is? He's a former shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals. When I was a youth pastor, one of the girls in my youth ministry, her sister, married David Eckstein. And one Wednesday night, he came to our youth group. It was the year after he was the World Series MVP. I have these two tiny little gloves signed for Caleb and Nathan, and and they're signed by David Eckstein, World Series champion. And and when I was there, I was like, hey, uh, you know, how how can we stay in touch? He's like, well, you can email me. I check it a couple times a week. I was like, what do you mean you check it a couple times a week? He said, well, I don't have a phone and I don't own a computer. I was like, dude, you don't own a computer? How do you function in the world? He said, I just go to the library. They have computers there. I just use the computer at the library. It's free. It doesn't, I don't have to pay for it. I'm like, you're a baseball. You're a professional athlete. I think you can afford a computer. He's like, it's not an affordability thing for me. My life's better because I don't own a computer. I didn't dive into the details. He's not my accountability partner or a close personal friend. I mean, I did play wiffle ball with him. He went one for three. I went two for three. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying I'm a better hitter than a World Series MVP, but the numbers are indicating that. First Corinthians 10, 12, and 13 says, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be t- uh, tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation, he will provide not the strength to endure. That's not what the Bible says. With the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. When the temptation comes, God in his mercy provides an escape hatch for us. Not so that we can demonstrate our power to resist temptation, But because we know in our own strength, we possess no power to resist temptation. That's the nature of a fallen nature. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. I told you we're going to be moving around a lot. I'm probably slower than you are to get there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 say this keep off the path of the wicked don't proceed on the way of evil ones avoid it don't travel on it turn away from it pass it by i mean how many different ways can god say this keep off of it don't proceed on it avoid it don't travel on it turn away from it pass it by that's in two verses that's just two verses run away if that wasn't enough in second peter excuse me first peter chapter 5 and verse 8 We have this tremendously powerful little verse where Peter, writing to the church that he loved, says this Be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Run away, keep out. It's like God has put this giant sign on all of our temptations. And the sign says this, beware of lion. He is hungry. He is hunting. And he wants to devour you. And we're like, is it really a lion though? Because it might be a circus. And if it's a circus, I don't want to miss the circus. I mean, I don't want to be the one person who hasn't been to the circus. I don't want to be the one person who hasn't experienced the thing that all my friends have experienced because their lives are marked by satisfaction, peace, fulfillment, joy, and purpose. And I want to be just like them. Therefore, I will ignore the sign that says there is literally something on the other side of this that's going to kill you. It's going to destroy your life. It's going to steal everything good that you have. It will devastate you. It will devastate your family, it will devastate your relationships, it could destroy your entire future, and it might take your whole life. And we go, but will it really? Because it might be fun. There might be something there to experience. We're not better than Adam and Eve who looked at the fruit and said, it might make me smarter. I'll be more grown up. I'll be more adult. I'll be a little bit more like God. I don't need to do what God said. I can discover right and wrong on my own. It takes a lifetime to build a life. But you and I are only about three compromises away from destroying it all. Just about three compromises away. I was listening to Paul Washer preach about this text and he said, I've never seen a person fall but I've seen a lot of people slide. Just one small microscopic compromise at a time because we're all in the process of becoming. And someday, listen, someday you and I will be laying in a box and someone will stand up and summarize our whole lives telling the story of who we became. Keep away from sexual immorality. Verses four and following say this, that each of you knows how to control his own body. That phrase, control his own body, it literally says possess his own vessel. In holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against or take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses as we also previously told and warned you for God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man but God who gives you his spirit you and I will either submit to the lordship of Jesus or to the lordship of our own lusts and desires. Because God has made it clear in his word that he has a standard for sexual ethics and that there is an appropriate place for sexual fulfillment. And the appropriate place is inside the context of a marriage. And everything that's sexually gratifying outside of that is sin. And I want to say a few words here for those of us who are present, who are struggling with sexual purity. The first thing that I want to say is this. It isn't your spouse's fault or responsibility. Your sexual purity is not your spouse's fault and it's not your spouse's responsibility. No amount of sex can satisfy a heart that is filled with lust. Cannot be done. And better sex is not going to cure someone who's addicted to pornography. Paul says, possess your own vessel. Control your own body. Self-control, we understand, is not a matter of the will. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Those of us struggling with temptation cannot appeal to some other person to solve the problem for us. And guess what? The one thing that I have taught myself, I don't know if you've taught yourself this yet or not, but the one that I've taught myself is, I can't even appeal to my own self. Try harder and do better. Has that ever worked for anybody when it comes to living up to the standards of holiness and purity? It's never helped me. So what am I to do? Instead of blaming someone else and instead of looking to myself, I'm to submit myself to Jesus. And I'm to call on him to give me the help of his Holy Spirit. To be transformed. Not by a powerless person, but by an all-powerful God. Your sexual purity is not your spouse's responsibility. Your sexual sin is not your spouse's fault. The second thing is this. I wanna say this, your accountability partner is easy to lie to if you are already lying to God. The place to deal with this first is in your private prayer closet. No loving friend, no loving pastor, no loving parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle or brother or sister can accomplish this inside of you. It begins before confession has to happen. By saying, God, I know my own heart and my heart wants something bad. My heart wants to sin. Have you ever said that to God before? Have you ever been vulnerable and honest with God to say, I'm in here and I'm on my knees because what I really want is to get up and go sin. I want to get up and go look at pornography. I want to get up and go flirt with someone who's not my spouse. I want to get up and go somewhere where I can indulge the flesh. I remember um, there was an evangelist that came to my college once. His name was Dave Busby. And I have this vivid memory of Dave Busby. He, he looked, he was about my size. He looked like he was probably a competitive runner because he was really thin, like thinner than I am. Like he looked really thin. And I remember uh, he came to our chapel services and he preached a revival for us. And it was like, he preached the Monday chapel and the Wednesday chapel, and then he did services at night. And I remember when he came in, it was interesting to me because we had these stairs on the side, but when Dave came in, he walked up to the stage, kind of slowly, he sat down on it and then he turned his body sideways and he got up like this. And I didn't know anything about Dave Busby. Maybe you've never heard of him. He got up and he said, my name's Dave Busby and I have CP, a lung disease. And he said, and I'm currently operating on less than one third of one lung. And if I were to walk from this stage to my car in the parking lot without stopping, I'd die. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room. I was like, whoa. And he said, so my sermon to you tonight is a matter of life and death for me. This revival that he preached was the last full revival that he ever preached. It was the last one. He died not long after this. And I will never forget as a college student who struggled with lust, like you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That was me and Kyle, like I'm dealing with this. You know, this is, this is a regular rhythm of my life. Dave Busby, this holy man of God, who's about to go meet God is standing on stage. And he's like, I was recently, a couple of months ago, I was preaching this revival down in, I don't remember where, Texas or something. He's like, and, and it was about one o'clock in the morning. And he said, and I was in my hotel room and I was laying there. And he said, I laying in the bed and I couldn't sleep. He said, and all I wanted to do was watch porn. I had never heard anyone who was standing on a stage with an open Bible say something like that. He's like, all I wanted to do, that's, that's all I wanted was just look at pornography. And he said, I made a decision. He said, I picked up the phone, I called my accountability partner, and I, I just said, hey, I'm in this hotel room, the only thing I wanna do right now is look at pornography. He said, and because I did that, I didn't do it. If you're honest with God in your prayer closet, You can be honest with the people who are in your life. I'm struggling in this. Because they're not anymore the lifeline that's keeping you tethered. You don't have to lie to them. They know the real you. You get honest in your prayer closet. You can be honest with your accountability partners. I'm not down on accountability. I'm not down on it at all but I think trying to put a Band-Aid on a leg that's been cut off is foolish. And believing that another person asking you if you've done something is gonna stop you from doing it is foolish. But when you are honest about what your heart really wants before God and you ask him to transform your heart, you have the unchanging promises of God that he who began a good work in you is faithful and he will see it through to the day of completion He won't give up on you. He won't leave you in that sin. It doesn't always come as immediate victory. It doesn't always come as immediate transformation and as immediate freedom. You are in the process of becoming. But you and I have to make a determination about who we want to be and where we want to go and what we want the story of our lives to be. God's will for you is that you would become increasingly free from sin, increasingly purified and increasingly holy. The third thing I want to say is this, your sin doesn't just affect you. Verse six, it says this, this means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. As we previously told and warned you, your sin doesn't just affect you, particularly sexual sin. It doesn't just affect you. And if you, if you try to, to say to me that you're looking at porn and that doesn't really affect anybody, I would say to you that porn is a leading cause of slavery in the world today. It's the leading cause of child abuse and exploitation in the world today. And by consuming it, by consuming it, you and I, those who consume it, we are promoting those practices. We are exalting those practices we are enabling those practices. We're sinning against people that we don't even know by participating in the sins of others. Your sin doesn't just affect you. That's true, not just you and the partner that you've sinned with. It impacts every person in your life. This is the consequence of sin. But we also have verse seven, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Can I tell you something that is good news? You can experience victory over sin. Not everyone in the world struggles with sexual sin. Everyone has to be vigilant because we don't live in a world where you have to go looking for temptation. It's ubiquitous. It is everywhere and it is looking for you. It will come looking for you. The most innocent of internet searches can produce the most wicked results. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. But God has called us not to impurity, but to live in holiness. Galatians chapter five and verse one, a wonderful little verse says, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, God set you free for freedom. God didn't set you free to endlessly be a slave to your sin. And if you are a slave to this sin, can I tell you that Jesus died to make you free? Some people do struggle with this for a lifetime. And what I would say to them is, I have my own set of struggles for a lifetime. You have your own set of struggles for a lifetime. And that's why God gave us each other. So that we could continue calling one another to the freedom that God gave us, to the victory that God gave us, to the grace that God endlessly gives us, to the hope that's found in Jesus, to the purpose that's worth living for, to the image of Jesus that we're being conformed into. You can experience victory over your sin. Because that's what was purchased for you by the body and blood of Jesus. Victory over sin. He's defeated it. And someday it will be fully and finally defeated. And then verse 8 says, Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The life your soul longs for can only be found in submission to Jesus. The authority for the commands comes from God who wants you to be free from sin, who wants you to be increasingly made holy, who wants you to be set free, who says to you, there's no condemnation for you, that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves you. That's what what God wants for you, not to weaken you, to diminish you, to cast you off, to cast you aside, to make you feel little and small, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are caught in their sin, when they are devastated by the consequences, when they're living in fear and shame. God invites them out of that fear and shame. They've covered themselves with fig leaves. God sacrifices an innocent animal and covers them with animal skins. He doesn't draw them out of their shame. to expose and humiliate them he draws them out to provide a better covering to comfort them in their fear and in their shame he could have condemned them you understand he could have brought down the swift hammer of justice been done with that race of humanity and created all over again anew but he didn't He could have come with accusations and instead he came with questions. Where are you? What have you done? Who told you that you should be afraid? He could have killed them and instead he sacrificed something innocent and clothed them. The life that your soul is longing for. The satisfaction that you can't find anywhere else. The love That you desperately need. It's only found in submission to Jesus. We don't just need to be saved from our sins. We need to be transformed. We need to be saved from our sins. But we need to be made new. Empowered to fight anew. Given some kind of strength that we previously didn't possess. Having new desires that don't want the same things that our old desires wanted. Otherwise, it's sort of like playing in the mud, taking a bath, going right back out to the mud to play again. The bath was great. I'm going to need another bath. And this is where we end up in these loops where all we're doing is confessing our sin instead of getting into our prayer closet and saying, Jesus, I want to live in a way that's pleasing to you. I don't want to bow to my own desires, and my desires are intense, and they are strong. They come on like like a missile attack sometimes. Nothing's happening, and all of a sudden, I just want to go sin, like like I want it. And that's the moment where I either bow the knee to my own sin and my own self, or I say, God, can you help me? Can you save me? Can you change this inside of me? Can you do something that I can't do for myself? Before we close the sermon, I want to just mention that the next passage, immediately following this passage, Paul says, about brotherly love. And, And it's so important for us to put on love in all of our dealings with others. We live in a world that puts on hate. We live in a world that puts on condemnation. We live in a world where it's very popular and cool, and some people even argue good to say, from now on, you're disqualified from humanity. You're disqualified from influence. You're disqualified from relationship because of a thing that you said or a thing that you did. We live in a world that is willing to accuse And longing to point out its own moral superiority to others. But that is not the gospel. Can we learn to be patient and gracious? Can we remember that the Holy Spirit's name is not Raiden Hollis? That he has a job to do and he's good at it. That as we bear with one another... We can be patient and gracious with those who are struggling both to understand what the will of God is in this area and struggling to obey the will of God in this area. That for some people, this is the sacrifice of a lifetime. And that although we don't have the authority to change the standard, we can apply it with mercy, with patience with understanding and with grace because no one has ever been shamed into love, ever. No one has ever been shamed into love. The gospel instead loves us out of our shame. That's beautiful, that's winsome, that's wonderful. The key there, though, the key is we have to remember how we were one. Did God come to you that day that you surrendered your life to Him? Those of you who are followers of Jesus, did God come to you just accusing and accusing and accusing and accusing and accusing and accusing? Or did He come to you as the dawn of understanding came? and you became clear about your sin with a word of comfort, with an invitation. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. We don't have the authority to change the standard. We live under the authority of God's word Anything that's a question of morality, this is where we go. But as we apply the standards of holiness to others, let's first apply them to ourselves. And once we've applied those standards to ourselves and felt the mercy of God in our own lives, we then become merciful redeemers as Jesus is to us. Because no one has ever been shamed into love. And this is how we know what love is. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The one who could have swung the hammer of justice instead came with the pierced hands, the pierced side, the crown of thorns, a broken body and the spilled blood of mercy. In a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together but I wanna give you a moment where you're at right now, the music's gonna come on. And what I'd like you to do is just to evaluate your own heart. Because chances are good in a crowd this size, some of us are struggling with sexual sin. We have not repented of that sin. We have instead just been in an endless loop of confession. Repentance is going the other way. And I wanna give you a moment to talk to God. Some of us have friends and family members struggling in this area, trying to figure out what their desires look like compared with what God's desires look like. Can we just pray for them? Can we just say, God, would you help me to love them? Would you help me to be patient as you work in their life? Would you help them to see, not just with clarity what the standard is, but to see the beauty of it and to see your love for them in it? And then would you give them and me the grace to obey? So let's take a moment where you're at. I wanna encourage you, bow your head, to close your eyes. If you have something that you need to confess to someone, you can do that in a few minutes. Uh, Josh and I will be available at the back to pray with you and to pray for you. You don't have to come to us and tell us your deep, dark secrets, but you can if you want to. You can come and confess to us. We'll walk with you through repentance. And, And you'll be dealing with fellow sinners when you deal with us. But I want to invite you to do what the psalmist did when he said, search me, God. Know me, test me, examine me. Is there something in me that's displeasing to you? And if you feel conviction, listen, if you feel condemnation, let the blood of Jesus wash it away because there's no condemnation for you. When Satan comes and just says, you're a bad person and you're never gonna be better, the blood of Jesus cancels that. Instead say, Holy Spirit, is there something to be convicted about? And what's a change that I need to make? Would you help me? So you take a moment where you are. After you've done that, those of you who are Christians, I invite you with me to take the Lord's Supper, remembering that it wasn't for the perfect that Jesus died. It was for people just like you, just like me. And that's what makes us right with God. That's why we take it every week. We take it to remind ourselves Jesus died. He created a new covenant based in his blood, not based in my morality. He made me right. You worship him for making a sinner like you right with God. Take your time. Listen carefully. Obey the spirit. I'll be available to pray with you. Josh will be available to pray with you. In a few moments we'll sing together, we'll give together, we'll celebrate the goodness of God together.